Welcome to the latest United We Stand podcast brought to you in association with Betfred. Fred Doan opened his first shop in Salford in 1967 and I'm delighted to be joined today by, well I'm going to try and pronounce this correctly, Thomas Ziliakus. Is that correct, Thomas? You know what, that was pretty good. Ziliakus is the way I would say it, but uh, close enough. <laughs> So, Thomas, you've been in the news in the UK and outside the UK in recent days because you've put a bid in to own Manchester United. It surprised some. It came in quite late. Could you tell us why you did it and why you left it so late? Well, let's start with the late. Uh, I, I must admit that I had missed uh, the fact that this was now a serious uh, sale process and that there was a specific deadline uh, just been busy with uh, with many other things and other businesses and I had missed that so it uh, came to my attention only a day before the actual deadline was and what I did was I contacted uh, the bank that uh, is handling the sale on behalf of the Glazer family the Rainey group and I said uh, that my company would be interested to bid and they said well it's very late that they have to think about it and uh, then uh, and they said they will come back to me and, and two two hours later they came back to me this was on Wednesday last week. They came back to me with an email saying, OK, go ahead, uh, sign an NDA and then we will uh, discuss uh, the next steps. So uh, I signed the NDA and at the same day on Wednesday, I submitted a very general offer uh, because I didn't have any details. I was waiting for the material from them. So it was on a very general basis uh, because I thought the deadline was Wednesday evening. Now, <clears throat> next day, I, I hear that uh, the deadline has been extended to Friday. And that enabled me then on Friday to extend uh, a new bid, uh, which was uh, detailed with a specific number and other specifics on the, on the, on the offer. Now, why did I do this? I have uh, been with, uh, you know, a football player first and then uh, involved with football and a football fan all my life. I saw Manchester United played against uh, the Finnish champions HJK, the club that I then became chairman of. Uh, already when I was 11 years old and uh, I fell in love with the club. Uh, that was a time when Bobby Charlton and Dennis Law and, and, and uh, other, other legends were playing. Uh, I have been involved in football as a chairman of the Finnish champions. I've been an investor in sports, uh, Finnish ice hockey champions. Uh, and uh, I have been looking over the last, uh, say, 12 months at investment opportunities in sports through my investment company. And uh, obviously there can't be a bigger club, there is no bigger club than Manchester United. Manchester United is the biggest club in the world, has the biggest following and like I said, it's the club that I've been uh, following and, and loved since I was 11 years old. So for me it all came together into something that I felt that I really wanted to be involved with and, and that's the reason why I submitted the bid. So you were at the game in Helsinki in 1965? That is correct, that is correct. So I travelled to Helsinki in September and I met a gentleman called Marku Peltonemi. Yes. 74 years old. Yes. Scored one played of the, in that game. Yeah, he scored one of the goals. And he, exactly. He, exactly. Well, Marku is a very dear friend of mine because when I was chairman of HJK from 1982 to 1986, Marku was the team, uh, what do you call it? Not the team manager, because uh, but he was the... What is it actually called uh, the, in English? It's, it's uh, the team leader, kind of like, you know, the guy who handled all the, 
all the organizational issues when the team was uh, was traveling and all of that and and he has been in that post until literally i think i don't know i've been away from finland for so many years but until uh, a couple of years ago probably so he has been like he's a legend in the club and and uh, and a lovely guy and as you said was a player himself a very young player when when he when he played that game in 1965 he was a lovely guy and he, he reminisced the about the fog in manchester and the legends that he played against and the fact that HJK couldn't replace their injured goalkeeper. And he said, otherwise, we would have only lost 5-0 and not 6-0. <laughs> well, that could, that could well be, yes. Well, look, I mean, we, we, when I was chairman, we, we were drawn against Liverpool in the then equivalent of the Champions League. And, uh, you know, we were basically an amateur team. I mean, we did pay, pay the players something, but they all had, uh, had other jobs as well. And we, to everybody's surprise, we actually beat Liverpool at home in Helsinki 1-0. And then we went to Anfield. And at Anfield, we held the game at 0-0 until, I think, the 27th minute. And uh, I remember so well because I was sitting with the Liverpool uh, bigwigs and uh, they became, they were not so happy, let's put it this way, when, when the team didn't score. But then they finally scored and then, then they, you know, the floodgates opened and they won 5-0. Uh, but uh, yeah, those are, I can well understand that for Marco, it must have been an, an amazing memory to not just be with the team as he was with me also in Liverpool, but to actually play and be on the field. field. I think he was, if I'm not mistaken, I think he was something like 17 years old or something like that when that game was played. Yeah, he was only 17 yeah, was and only 17. a George Best shirt was put on display in Helsinki in the National Stadium, a Finnish Man United yeah. fan, fan uh, Jerry who has a red room in Helsinki full of Manchester United memorabilia. Um, he, he arranged that. So you said you played football yourself. Tell us about your football career. Yeah. So I was, I was uh, playing in the youth uh, uh, team of HJK uh, when I was... Uh, we have a system whereby the eldest... Uh, you have like you, you go up in the, in, the, in the age groups and then the, the, the eldest group before you then become a senior player, I think you are there until you're 18 or 19. So I played with HJK uh, up to that level. And then, uh, then I was lucky enough to be given the opportunity to spend a season in, in Brazil with Fluminense, where I played in the, and, or trained with the Youth Academy of Fluminense. And then I came back to Finland and then I joined uh, a team that was one level below the Finnish Premier League, so the equivalent of the championship in England, uh, a team called Grankula IFK where I then played. But I only played for a couple of years because then I was, I was pretty serious about my studies. I was studying uh, in two different universities, uh, business on uh, one and, and political science on the other. And, uh, you know, I just didn't have time for, for football uh, to the extent that I would have needed to. So then I, then I was just playing for fun with some other teams. And, and until then in 1982, when I had been appointed uh, at the <laughs> reasonably young age of 25 as the, as the, global head of corporate communications with Nokia, I was approached by HJK who said, look, would you like to be chairman of our football section, which is the one that handles the, the, main, the main team and the, and, and the, and the youth academy? And, and I said, that would be great. So then I was, I was chairman of that uh, for four years. Until, until then, in 1986, I moved to Singapore as Nokia's new head of Asian operations. And where do you live now? So nowadays I'm spending my time in between, uh, you know, between different countries. So I'm still, uh, I'm still a resident of, uh, permanent resident of Singapore. I have, um, uh, you know, a home there. 
but I also have uh, places in, in uh, three European countries. So I kind of switch uh, between these uh, different locations. And uh, yeah, that's, that's how I live nowadays. And you moved from Helsinki to Rio de Janeiro as a footballer. That's some change. <laughs> that was some change, and uh, and I, I'm probably the only Finn who has ever played uh, football in Brazil at the top team level. And uh, I remember very well when uh, in in Singapore, the Brazilian ambassador to Singapore got to know about this, and he after that he invited me to every single cocktail party and occasion that he organized because I was like a, a pet for him to show off that you know this is the Finn who actually played for Fluminense. He was a big Fluminense fan himself. So you've been interested in Manchester United. Have you ever been to Old Trafford? Do you watch games on television? Do you still follow the results? Of course, I watch. I watch every single game that I can on television. We have in we have in Finland a, 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 a subscri subscription service that shows all the Premier League games, and then another one that shows all the Championship, uh, the Champion League games. So I watch every game that I can. Uh, unfortunately, I have not been uh, to Old Trafford to watch a game. I've been I've been to Manchester and I uh, went to Old Trafford, but I have never watched a game there. And what have you made of this season? What do you make of Eric Ten Hag, the manager? I think he looks very good. I mean, uh, I think he has made some very bold uh, moves. I mean, especially I'm thinking about the Cristiano Ronaldo uh, situation and how he handled that. And uh, it seems that he has been able to get that, uh, you know, those players to gel into a team that performs very well. And uh, and uh, that's that's what it's all about. I mean, it's it's about building a team. I mean, I... We all know that there are teams in, in, in uh, Europe that have been taken over by very wealthy uh, owners. Uh, and, uh, there were, you know, there was a fan who, <laughs> I think actually today, when I, on Twitter, we had a discussion where I was saying, look, you know, I do this for the love of football and specifically for the love of Manchester United. So there's no ego here. I don't need to be the owner of Manchester United. I actually would welcome there to be more owners who have a real dedication for the club because the club belongs to the fans and not to the investors. The, the club has been there long before the investors were born and the club will continue long after the investors are gone. It's the fans that make up the club. So, so then this, this um, guy tweeted back and said, hey, who would, who would buy a Ferrari together with, uh, with some other people? It's not about buying a Ferrari here. Fer a Ferrari is a trophy. And that is exactly what, what Manchester United is not. It shouldn't be a trophy for anyone. It should be, a, it should be a, investors should come in to take care of a, an institution that belongs to the fans. And that is, that is my approach to all of this. And, and uh, I would love to have others to join me in that same approach. But uh, maybe for some people it is not like that. Maybe indeed they do feel that they are buying a Ferrari. And, and indeed then you don't want to have anybody else to, uh, that, that would share it with you. So let me try and get this clear. Your bid is around half the quoted price and the other half ideally would come from the supporters. Okay, so that's a misunderstanding, uh, which probably I'm, I'm guilty of myself uh, in, my, in my first uh, press release to, to, to not be clear about it. So, so no, that's not, the, that's not the plan. The plan is to buy the club outright and the, the bid that I tabled on Friday is, I believe, around the same level as the other, the other you know, publicly known bids, meaning uh, Jim Ratcliffe and, and Sheikh Yassim. I think we are more or less on the same level. What I then would like to do is I would like to uh, extend to the fans the possibility to come in as owners and as decision makers through a system whereby ultimately they could own 
up to half of the club. So that is the structure. So it's not so that I'm saying, hey, I, I, I need the fans to pay and I will pay half. No, no, no. That is not the approach at all. Uh, I think it would simply take too long and, and, and wouldn't work. Uh, the idea is to buy the club and for that we have tabled the offer where we have been very specific and said, no, no, we are, we are not tabling an offer where we need the fans to pay for half of it. We are tabling an offer where we buy the club and then once we have the club, then we would set up this mechanism with the fans. Now, why do I want to do that? I go back to what I just said. The club belongs to the fans. We are just caretakers uh, for the brief moment where we are there as, 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 as investors and owners. It belongs to the fans and that's why the fans need to be there to participate. Of course, not in, you know, day-to-day -day decisions about, you know, who is going to play on Saturday. No, 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 that cannot be. That is up to the manager. But to, to make, you know, to participate when we make strategic decisions, such as, you know, if we have a profit one year, a big profit, should we use it to buy more players or should, it, should we use it to upgrade a stadium or something else? That's where I think the fans need to be involved because, as I said, it's their club. So, so let them be involved and, and if they have invested, even if they have only invested, you know, the sum of a cup of coffee, which is really all they need to get half of it if, if all the fans would participate, then uh, they should have a say. And, and, and that is how I've seen clubs run also in Scandinavia. When I was a chairman of HJK, I didn't own it. I was elected there by, by the members who were the fans. And, and, and they elected a board where the board was working for the club and, and made decisions that were best for the club and not so that somebody was getting some uh, personal glory or ego trip out of, of, of telling, telling everybody that this is my club. Do you have the money? I don't have the money myself, no. I, I'm wealthy enough to table a serious bid, but I am not at the level of, of Sheik Yazim or, or, or Jim Ratcliffe. Uh, so I can, I can make a serious bid, which, which is partly my own money, partly money from others, from partners who want to participate this, uh, in, in this. So, so I don't see, I don't see a, a big problem in, in the fact that it's not my money. The only limit may be that it has compared to somebody who can play with his own money 100% is that I need to make sure that this is a financially viable proposition. I cannot, <clears throat> I cannot go in and buy it for some absolutely crazy sum that makes no sense just because I want to own it. But like I said, I, for me, it's not about wanting to own it. For me, it's about wanting to work for the club to make it or to return it to its position as the best club in the world. And that also is both on the field and off the field. I, you know, I think it's, there are, when there's more than a billion fans around the world that, that uh, support Manchester United, it's a very powerful voice the club has. And I'm very happy to see that some players already have taken a very strong stand in, in certain issues that have nothing to do with football, but have to do with, with unfortunate you know, things that, that we see in our society, or racism and hate speech and so forth. I think the club should have also a strong value base that it communicates to the people, the bit, more than a billion people who follow it around the world, because the club can, can make a real change in, in how people think and, and, and how our societies look if they have those values. So some of the money would be yours and some of the money would be from partners who you know wealthy in their own right. Yeah. And they're on board with your idea of involving They are on board the with my idea. Yeah. They wouldn't see it purely as an investment. No, and, and look, I, look, as much as I would love it to be a great investment, but, uh, but frankly, uh, my view on, on a football club is that it usually costs more than it, it brings in. So, so I think that from a pure, purely, if I want to make more money, 
and look, I, I, I have enough money already, uh, and I'm sure that, uh, that the same is, is the case, or much more is the case for Jim Ratcliffe and Sheikh Yassim. Uh, we, don't, we don't do this to make more money. Uh, I do this because I love the club. And, and, uh, and, and you know, the others who would join me have the, same, have the same attitude. This is not about making a lot of money. Obviously, I'm, or let me put it this way. I have been told that the current owners have managed to make quite a lot of money out of the club. And I've also been told that as a result of that, the fans are not very happy because they felt that that money should have been used to improve the club. I fully agree with the fans if this has been the case. I don't think it's the right thing to do. You don't, once again, go, going back to what I said, the club belongs to the fans. So, so we who are fortunate enough to have, been made, to, to have made money in our lives so that we can invest it into something that we love, we should be the caretakers and we should focus on making the club better. That's it. Can I ask who the other investors are? I'm not uh, in a position to give their names. They have not. They don't want to surface at this at this stage, especially as we are just in the bidding process. Obviously, if if we are successful at some stage, I think at least some of them will will come forward as well. But right now, uh, they don't want to do it. Your point about football clubs not making money is true, but Manchester United has always been an exception to that, or at least usually been an exception to that. Huge football club, very strong revenue streams. It went public on the stock market in 1991. The value of the club has grown exponentially. The support is obviously huge. So if it was handled sensibly and not what happened with the Glazers where you had a highly leveraged buyout with huge interest payments, with dividends, that's what really annoyed the supporters. The fact that they ended up paying off a huge amount of interest, well over a billion since that 2005 takeover. Manchester United is big enough to stand on its own two feet. That's a good point. That's a good point. And as you said, clubs can be can be profitable if they are big enough, meaning they have a big enough fan base, and if they are run in a sensible, professional way. And that's where also I'm a little bit concerned about, you know, uh, how some clubs, and I'm not saying, I'm, I don't want to say anything negative about the other bidders because I don't know them and they might be doing a great job if they, if they get to own the club. Uh, but there are examples in you know, some other clubs where, where I think the owners do not really see this. They, they, for them, it becomes just about, you know, let's buy the biggest stars at any cost. And we all know who really know football, we know that you don't build a team with, you know, 11 stars who have been you know the only star in whatever club they came from and now they have to all of a sudden uh, adapt to the fact that there are there are 10 other stars psg is a good example barcelona was i think now barcelona is doing much better uh, so you know you have these you have these situations where clubs you know barcelona was basically bankrupt and and psg i have no idea about their finances but from what i hear they are making massive losses uh, and what have they gotten for it nothing so, so if you build it in a sensible way, and again, I think Ten Hag is doing it in a very good way, you know, you, you, you don't need the biggest names in football to be in your team to be successful. Often it's the other way around. You need young, good, hungry players who can grow with the club and who, can, who, who gel together as a team. And that I think, uh, I think Manchester United is very well on that, on that way. A couple of British newspapers reported, probably on speaking to the rival bidders, that your bid was nothing more than a publicity stunt. Is it? 
No, it's not at all a publicity stunt. I mean, obviously, you know, if you are if you are bidding for an asset, then <clears throat> it's in your interest to kind of make the other bids look a bit questionable. So, so um, maybe that's the reason. Uh, maybe also the fact that I did indeed come in very late, and the fact that you know I'm not a well-known name in 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 the UK footballing circles. So, so uh, it's quite easy to say, oh, it's just a publicity stunt. But uh, it's certain. Is not. It's a genuine, serious bid, where, as I said, we have the financial uh, backing, we have the financial means, together with my own money, to do this, and we have a genuine love for the club. It's, there's, there's, no, there's no publicity. Actually, I'm, I'm amazed by the amount of publicity that we have received. I never expected it, uh, but it just, uh, again, shows how big a club Manchester United is, that it gets attention uh, literally around the world. I mean, I... You, you, Google, you Google this on, on almost any language and there will be news from anywhere in the world about, about this bidding process and what is going on. I spoke to some Finnish United fans about you. And yeah. They spoke well of you, they were positive about you, but they said that you were not known as a United fan among United fans in Finland. Is that just something that you kept private? No, it's true, but you see, I have not lived in Finland since 1986. Mm -hmm. I, have, I have lived overseas since 1986, and, and before that I was, as I said, chairman of HJK. So, so uh, there was no really reason to flag uh, my support for, for United. It was a private matter for me, and, and uh, I never joined any Manchester United fan clubs or anything else in Finland. I, I was, like I said, I was focused on my own, on my own first my footballing in, from a football perspective, on my on my on my own playing uh, days, and then after that, on 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 managing HJK. One worry of the fans is that the Glazers won't sell at all; that they will stall on it. They will try and raise equity from elsewhere. Do you think the Glazers will be sympathetic to your approach? Well, look, I don't know. It's it's it's, and it's what you said is a very interesting thought because uh, who knows? I mean, they, as far as I know, Glazers are not exactly in need of money. So, so uh, and I guess they have already recovered, uh, recouped their, their initial investments uh, handsomely. So maybe they just want to see what is the interest for the club at the moment, what is, how much could they get, and then they will say, well, look, at the end of the day, we have decided not to sell, because, because if that club is managed well, then, uh, then uh, it will continue to grow in value. So, so, so um, that could well be the case. As it comes to my approach, look, I mean... <laughs> I, I'm, 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 a simple, I'm a simple guy in the sense that I really do believe that people know that nobody's only after money, that everybody also wants to be you know, liked and, and, and want to have people say that, hey, these guys are good. So if now everybody has been saying that Glazers are only interested in money, maybe they would like to change that and maybe they would like to go to history as, as a family who at the end of the day allowed the fans to come in and have a major say in, in, in the club by accepting the bid that I have made. Who knows? Some people are saying, no, 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 no. I have told me, no, no, no. The Glazers are not like that. They're only about money. And maybe they are. I don't know. I never met them. But, uh, but uh, like I said, I mean, my, I, have a, I have a generally positive and optimistic view on people's motives. And, and uh, especially if you already have more than enough money for yourself and your children and your grandchildren, then maybe other things would come in into the picture as comes to motivation. Both of the current bids mention that fans will be central to the future of Manchester United. So Jim Ratcliffe talked about Manchester United being a community asset. 
I've done United We Stand since 1989. I think I've got a good handle on Manchester United's fan base. I've, I've watched the club play in 44 countries around the world. I've spoke to fans all around the world. In the last year, I was in your native Finland, speaking to the Finnish Reds, been to Australia, been to Pakistan, been to Saudi Arabia. What a lot of fans want is very different to each other. It's such a broad church. How do you get unity among a group of people who are anything but united? Yeah, it's a very good question, and and and, and that's why also uh, you know I'm I'm happy to be to be now here able to to speak to you and to the fans who are listening that there has been perhaps also a little bit of a misunderstanding on 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 what I have said about the fan uh, participation. It's not you know to just make some simple voting app where they can say yes or no to uh, you know to some suggestions. Uh, I have I have uh, several companies who are who are in digital uh, media and uh, you know companies that that are working with the latest cutting edge technologies uh, in artificial intelligence in, in in virtual reality in Web three in whatever and uh, and uh, I've been speaking already with the tech guys in those companies about what kind of a communication tool could we create and they have come up with some really exciting ideas where it's not really, like I said, about voting on decisions, but it's about interacting with the club and the players to the extent that, you know, it's, it's possible because obviously players cannot spend all their time on just communicating with fans. But there are ways where we could really build amazing user experience for fans who are sitting in, you know, Shanghai or Singapore or, or Cape Town or wherever and who never can afford even to travel to England much less to watch a game. So that is uh, one part which, uh, which I want to offer the fans. And then it doesn't matter if they have different views and different opinions. As comes to then the decisions, look, I mean, it's just like any, you know, democracy or, or, or organization. If you have a company with shareholders, they vote at the annual general meeting. Not all of them have the same views, but the majority vote wins. And it's the same way here that, you know, that, that I want the club to to move in the direction that the majority of the fans want. And, and look, I, you're, you're quite right. We will never achieve a situation where 100% of the fans all think alike because, uh, because people have just different, uh, different aspirations and different views. So your idea is to commit to the whole price and then once purchased, sell half back to the fans. And I don't doubt that fans would be interested in buying shares in Manchester United. I bought shares in United mm. when it first went public in 1991. And that share release was undersubscribed. It had to be underwritten. So little was the interest in the club then. Clearly, it's a much-changed club now. What sort of time scale would this take? Well, look, I mean, uh, first of all, uh, 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 like I said, uh, uh, we, we would buy the club outright and then we would offer to the fans to come in with a stake that can go up to half. But, you know, if there's less interest, then it means that the fans, uh, you know, own 20% or whatever, you know, whatever it is, the commitment from the fans. So, so it's not because that we, we, it's not so that we need their money to do the takeover. No. It's, 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 uh, it's something that we want to offer them, and, and if, if the interest is lower, then so be it. But I don't see any reason why we couldn't structure it in such a way that we would have a, we would have a, a separate legal entity where the fans can buy the shares, and it can basically go on you know, forever until it is fully subscribed. In other words, until they do have half of the club. Uh, but these are details that obviously 
you know, with my financial advisors and with the team, I would need to work out exactly how it will be structured. At, at this stage, it's, it's more of a general, you know, view of how I feel that the fans should be involved. But, but uh, I'm, I'm well aware of the fact that this could still change from the format that I have in mind now into something that hopefully is better. And, and, uh, and that, that for that, for that it, it, there is a bit of time needed. Do you see growth in Premier League football, in European football, or do you see growth in unexploited areas, which, to be fair to the Glazers, they exploited in terms of the way they divided the world up into geographic areas and sold sponsorship packages, be it to Chilean wine partners or more conventional sponsors in Europe? Yeah. Look, I, I mean, I think as we all sport, uh, Europe, uh, there is growth in Europe, but uh, when we have... By now, I think we reached 8 billion people in this world and Europe has 550 million. It means that it's less than 10%. So, so, of course, there is massive growth opportunities in other markets. And, and, uh, and that, again, is why I think this is such an exciting uh, proposition because Man United has fans all over the world. And even if it is a staggering 1 billion, I don't know if that is really the number, but that, is, that has been uh, claimed, it's still you know, a little bit more than 10% of the whole population. So there is definitely room, room to grow for football in general and also for Manchester United. And I believe that, that by creating these kind of, you know, cutting-edge technology interactive tools where, where fans from all over the world can really feel that they are a part of the community and, and almost as if they were present themselves in Manchester, I think that kind of things is what, what will attract even more fans to come in and, and, and follow Manchester United. I know this is something Barcelona are looking at where you buy a virtual seat and as technology advances, you feel more like you're in the stadium even though you're not there. You've worked in technology. You worked in Nokia, is that right? I was, yes. I was first uh, head of corporate communications at the head of and then I was the head of Asian operations. couple of questions from Manchester United fans because I told them this morning I was speaking to you. Um, the first one is, can you make the United players as durable as the Nokia 3310? <laughs> no, that's a good question. <laughs> I don't know if, they, if, if the, the person who is asking the question means from a medical point of view, meaning that they will not get injured. If that is a the question, then unfortunately I'm not, I'm not an expert in that. Uh, well, look, I mean, I, I think maybe, maybe from a more of a philosophical point of view, I guess that what we want to see is, is players who are committed to the club and who stay with the club for basically their, you know, their, their careers, uh, provided, of course, they're good enough to fit in the team. People like Bobby Charlton uh, was in his days. I mean, uh, he was Manchester United. I mean, for him, I am, I'm sure it, there was nothing else that existed in his mind from a club perspective. So, so I think it's great if we can have a club where we have players who are really not just looking at how much are they getting paid, but rather who have their heart with Manchester United and who say, look, this is my club and this is where I belong. And, and uh, I'm happy, you know, with the salary. I might get something more from somewhere else, but uh, I will never move. I think that that's the kind of community we want to build. Another reader wants to know, would you consider merging with any of the other bidders? Absolutely. I mean, like I said before, I, I have no ego trip here. I have no issues uh, about joining. I think it's great for the club because the more resources we have, financial and human, the better we can do for the club. And I mean, I, you know, some have said, oh, you, you want to join forces because you don't have the money. No, no, no. That is not at all the point. But the point is, 
I think all of us have the money. Uh, all, the, all the main bidders have the money. But why give all of that money to the sellers? Rather, I think we should join forces and make sure that as much as possible of that money is used for the benefit of the club. Do you think the Glazers will sell? Well, like I said earlier, uh, I, I'm not sure. I, I mean, look, I, I really can't read their minds and I never met them. So time will tell. I, I'm, I, I'm sure at some stage they want to sell, but uh, could be that, that they think uh, that maybe it's after all not the right time now and, and they want to wait and see. Another Nokia related question. What was your highest score on Snake? <laughs> you know, I, I really don't remember. And, and frankly, I didn't play Snake that much. It was, it was a cool thing, but uh, I'm, not, I'm not really a, too much of a, of a player of, of games on the mobile. So, no. Another question. How come you're not bound by the same NDA as Jim Ratcliffe and Sheikh Jassim? I am bound. I am bound by the same NDA, and that's of course why I have to be very careful with what I say. So I mean, I can't. Obviously, I can't say anything that is uh, under the confidentiality agreement. So I can only speak in general terms about about my love for the club and and what I want to do with the club. But I can't go into detailed detailed financials. No. So in summing up, I'd like to thank you for your time. I'd like you just to sum up what you would intend to do if your offer was accepted. Well, look, first of all, thank you for inviting me. It has been a pleasure to talk to you. What I want to do, I want to build the best football club in the world on and off the field. And, and by that, I go back to what I said earlier. Of course, uh, what the fans want to see is success on the field. They want to see uh, Manchester United win, win the Premier League, win the Champions League every year. Uh, uh, but also, I think it's very important that we, that we also are a leader off the field. And by that, I mean that, like I said earlier, that Manchester United should stand for values that are good and universal and fight against things that are not good. And, and uh, there, there Manchester United can play a massive role. I mean, I think more people will listen to Manchester United than to their political leaders as comes to these kind of issues. And, and while we don't want Manchester United to go into politics, but good values are like I said, universal and have nothing to do with politics. And, and I want uh, Manchester United to be an example in that as well. Thank you for your time, Thomas. Thank you for your time, Thomas. Thank you, Andy. So that's it for this United We Stand podcast. Our next one, assuming that we don't do any other similar interviews, will be from Newcastle at the weekend. We're back playing football after this international break and the run right through to the end of the season we're going to work really hard to get the next issue of united we stand done it's going to go on sale against brentford at old trafford on the 5th of april if you want to subscribe for the next 10 issues that will buy you almost a year and we'll lock the price in and then please do it before uh, monday and if you can do a print edition that's best for us if you want to do the electronic edition if you live outside the uk totally understand that as well uh, we've had a decent good few months with united we stand apart from the the weather conditions so go to uwsonline.com and you'll see subscription details we've got some really interesting stuff going in the next issue because these are really interesting times of course if you just prefer to click on clickbait then united we stand probably isn't for you but loads of people appreciate what we do and we really appreciate that support until the next podcast, goodbye.